Before we start the show, I want to tell you about Serve HQ. Every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is essential to successfully accomplishing your mission. But if you're like most leaders, you also know how tricky it can be to onboard and equip people for your team. What if there was a resource to make it easier? I'd love to recommend to you Serve HQ. Serve HQ is a simple video training course that helps you equip volunteers and develop leaders. You can use your own training courses that you develop or use their video library of training videos. You can even automate next steps to help onboard new people. Check it out at servehq.church and the link is in the show notes. Servehq.church. This is about attentive presence to what is within you that needs to come out as you're creating something, but also even as you're viewing art, it's putting yourself in the posture of openness and receiving what the artist and what God wants to speak to us through the art. And so it does require a posture of surrender where we're both kind of surrendering to the thing within us that needs to come out without putting pressure on ourselves for it to be perfect, for it to be finished for it to be, you know, a kind of performance, for it to be something we could hang up on our wall. And I think God wants to, for so many of us, to recultivate that part of ourselves. And what's interesting is I'll often lead people through a practice like that. And and like I said, even people who are maybe more kind of left brain analytical thinkers, they will be surprised by how God meets them through that. friends, welcome to Word Bay Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season nine, episode 11. Today on the podcast, we have artist and author, Betty Dickinson, and we're kicking off the Christmas season with a conversation about Advent and preparing the way for Jesus in this busy, noisy, digital life that we're often leading. How can we do that? And how can art help us get there? I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much to the sponsors who are making this possible, getting it into to your ears and in front of you if you're watching on YouTube to serve HQ where you can train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online fast and easy with servehq.church. And also Compassion Canada, who's lifting children from poverty and hunger in Jesus' name. Scripture Untangled as well is a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society. We'd love for you to check out if you love podcasts like this one. All right, now let me tell you a little bit about Betty Dickinson. Betty Dickinson is a prophetic artist, writer, and speaker who invites audiences to connect with God through visual parables on the spiritual journey. And so she has been using art to help people connect with God for years and has only recently actually stepped out to have an entire ministry based around this. She comes from a background doing work with students with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and spiritual formation there. But most recently, she's written a book about Advent, 25 Devotions for a season of wonder. And so I think you're going to love the conversation with Betty Dickinson as a way to kick off the Christmas season, or if you listen to this a little bit later, just to consider how you can integrate and make space for visual storytelling in your life as you try to connect more with Jesus. Here's the conversation. Betty Dickinson, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me, Joanna. I'm excited to engage with you. Well, we know each other through, um, well, through Danielle Strickland, through the circles of her life and work. And the last time we were together in person was down in Florida and you led a group of us uh, through like an art experience. Um, so I can't wait to kind of introduce you and um, and what you do and, and really what your gift is to the church, uh, to this whole audience. So before we go any farther, who are you? Can you introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name's Betty Dickinson. Uh, I'm an artist, writer, speaker. I love to connect audiences to God through visual parables of the spiritual journey. I lead a ministry just launching it called Awakening the Soul, which is designed to awaken the soul of ministry leaders through beauty and wonder. I live in Traverse City, Michigan with my husband and two boys. And if I were to sort of boil down the things that I feel most alive doing, it would be contemplation, 
creation and communication. So three C's. I, yeah, I, I feel like those three camp categories are just sort of where I find my sweet spot. I'm kind of a beauty chaser. So I just Mm. really believe that in the presence of beauty, we find rest and we come alive and we become more of who we were meant to be. And yeah, I Mm. love, I'm an Enneagram three (laughs) with a very strong four wing. If any of you are Enneagram followers, Um, And I'm a huge fan of Marvel movies, so I'm very excited to watch the new Black Panther movie coming out. Have you seen it yet? No, I'm going to go see it on Saturday, and I cannot wait. Yeah, I heard it's been breaking records, so that's always fun. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's interesting because you say, uh, that seems like a contrast. Now I'm following my curiosity. Marvel movies and contemplation <laughs> feel like yeah, that's right. uh, opposite I'm ends of the spectrum. I'm a very multifaceted person, okay? <laughs> I can be super competitive and super into, like, action movies and superheroes and can also be very meditative and contemplative. And I tell people in another life, I probably could have been a monastic nun. Uh, Because I could just draw away in solitude and contemplation and creating, but I do love my action movies. (laughs) Well, (laughs) and I love this because before you're doing what you're doing now, um, you spent a bunch of years doing campus student ministry. And that feels Mm -hmm. more like, maybe to oversimplify it, the Marvel side (laughs) of like high energy, you know, big events or, Mm. you know, just noise and and just simply younger people have a lot of like, they're less contemplative by nature. They're a bit more out than inward. Um, And so was this all, did you always know this about yourself? And did those things conflict in that kind of work? Or did you find you were able to pull Mm. that out of students? I'm so curious about that. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I mean, I don't know about it in terms of the the work with students, but I know that uh, my Enneagram 3 side of myself is very kind of action-oriented, achiever-oriented, mm-hmm. sort of like move on, let's take the next hill kind of thing. And I actually took an Enneagram test once that said, you know, you tap into your truest self when you when you go into the four wing and you create, and I feel like the, the creative side is probably my true self, but I tend to find though, that I'm drawn to kind of big action, epic tales, because I love getting caught up in the story and, and a big action kind of story where there's good and evil. And there's, you know, these sort of epic tales of a journey that people go on together. And so in some ways they connect together. In some ways I kind of uh, bring one side of myself into the other. And uh, yeah, definitely I'm wrestling with sometimes having to bring some of that like action, moving forward, getting things done kind of piece and set that aside because our world drives us that way in order to step into kind of the contemplative side, which is less of our world is inclined in that direction. So, well, and, and doing it through art, which I feel is, is in many ways accessible to all ages Mm -hmm. that like Mm -hmm. using creativity and artistic expression to connect people to God, to themselves, to their feelings, um, is, is something kind of scary actually for a lot of people because they've maybe never done it before. So I'd love mm-hmm. to go there maybe a little bit late. Let's keep going sure. into the conversation yeah. about, I, cause I want to jump into Advent, but inevitably I, I have to talk with you about this whole art thing. So we'll get there later. But, um, one of the reasons I'm having you on at this time of year, this Christmas season is actually cause it's Advent and you've written this book, making room in Advent, 25 devotions for a season of wonder. And if anyone's seeing it there, it is on the, on the visual, but, um, okay, let's talk about Advent because I think for some people, that's a big part of their tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's like an advent calendar, a chocolate calendar is the closest thing that they've had, <laughs> uh, you know, to advent. Um, yeah. I mean, they have, as a dog owner, I've seen like, I get emails now ads for like dog advent calendars, <laughs> like, you know, like a dog, a dog bone every day or something. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a whole nother level of advent calendars well, that I have not seen. Okay. 
but I mean, obviously this is not what we're talking about here. So how did you get introduced to that? Was this always part of your tradition? What is Advent? How did you, how did you begin to discover it? Yeah, you know, I actually didn't grow up in a faith tradition that really dove into Advent. I kind of stumbled into Advent much later in life. And it's probably because of my sort of contemplative bent and just who I am as an artist. I mean, the things that cause me to ponder and wonder and imagine and dream. I mean, I just feel like Christmas is such a big thing. Like the incarnation is such a big thing that I can't just digest it in just a Christmas, even Christmas day service kind of thing, you know? And so yeah. what I love about Advent is that Advent, which is, it means coming or arrival. And I see it as kind of this just gestation process. It's this season of allowing something to slowly ripen in us, the sense of wonder, the sense of longing, the sense of anticipation and, and, and in a sense, as we approach Christmas, it prepares us and prepares our hearts to be ready to receive hmm. the thing and the new thing that God wants to offer us in that season. And I think that, you know, I often think about it in terms of, of pregnancy and I talk about that a little bit in the book, but, you know, just like a mother, you know, I mean, it's different when you adopt or, you know, you have ch children in different ways. But for me, when I had my children, you know, I didn't find out I was pregnant and then the next day have a baby. You know, there was a whole right. long season of waiting and anticipation and preparing my body and preparing our house. And, you know, like, I think if we go through that to welcome a child into our house, gosh, how much more should we go through that preparation to welcome God within our world and to remember and then to anticipate the second coming where Jesus will come again. And so it's it's both a season of looking back as we remember the first advent when Christ first came into the world, but then it's also a season of anticipation as we wait, are still waiting for Christ to come. Yeah. Well, I think the secular version of this is sort of the, you know, the, there is some sort of anticipation of Christmas, the countdown. I think of the elf movie where, where Will Ferrell hears that Santa's coming to the shopping <laughs> mall or whatever. And he's like, Santa's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so there is, even in a secular form of Christmas, some mm. sense of like the hope, the wonder mm. of what's mm -hmm. to come. And that's not been completely lost. But of course, most of what you're describing is drowned out culturally. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. at this time of year. Um, I'm sure there are places in the world, uh, you know, where there, that isn't the case. It's because Christmas is less of a cultural tradition. So it's less commercialized. But um, yeah, what, what do you think is lost there for us? Maybe the count, maybe the other side of it. If Advent is this getting ready and making room, then what happens when we don't? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, I think probably we just sort of give in to the cultural standard of what's expected of us, which is, you know, consumerism, buying, 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 you know, filling and busying our lives with all the activities surrounding Christmas. And and I think the thing that gets lost is this sort of inward opening and this mm. inward making room, not to use the name of the book, but really, truly, you know, creating space within our souls for hungering and longing for God. And I think sometimes in this Christmas season, that's very, you know, industrial and like I said, commercialized, we can fill ourselves so much with activity and fill ourselves literally with food and fill ourselves, our calendars, you know, and fill our homes with all the boxes and things that need to be wrapped that we can miss the true longing and the true mm -hmm. ache that we really feel underneath all of that, which is a longing for God and a longing for his coming and a, and a recognition of where in our lives we really need a savior to come and where in our world we really need a savior to come. And so I think that's, that's some of what gets lost when we miss out on the the preparation side of things. Yeah, the way I, I sort of wrote it in my questions here is this idea about frantic versus focused. Mm. Um, and I think compared to Easter, which towards Good Friday is sort of like a descent and then there's sort of a pause before mm -hmm. the 
the mm-hmm. the risen Christ. You know, the Christmas holiday, the difference, it feels like it is all like an ascent, like we're climbing mm-hmm. towards something, this great anticipation. Um, but we can do it in this, in such a chaotic way that I think for a lot of people, the first time they kind of breathe out is like, if they have a tradition of something like whatever it may be, maybe it's just gathering at a table, but, you know, go to church on a Christmas Eve service and everything's finally done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your presents are <sighs> like, that's the yeah. first breathe out you've had and the first time you've had to compl- contemplate mm-hmm. in the whole season, you mm-hmm. know, in many mm-hmm. ways, and especially with all the, you know, beyond all the commercial stuff, there's stress in family and logistics and, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe in some ways for you, it's obvious, but for those who don't know you, I think it's not obvious. Like why art? So you've chosen in this way to to help us contemplate day by day in this lead up to Christmas and use paintings and use like your work, use your painting. And so, um, you know, why not just words? <laughs> what is it about the visuals? And tell me more about your process of creating those. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that's been interesting that I've been learning, I'm a little becoming a little bit of a neuroscience nerd, especially when it comes to learning about how our brains are formed, how we are formed spiritually. And one of the things that neuroscientists have been discovering in the last 15 years is that when it comes to processing information, we actually process information from the right side of the brain to the left. And the right Mm -hmm. side of the brain is our imagination. It is our feelings. It is actually even relational attachment. And so when we have a deep relationship with someone and they walk in the room, the right side of our brain lights up. And we get this right when people are trying to ask us, you know, why do you love someone? And we struggle to put words to it. That's the kind of a right brain. It's an experiential encounter. And then the left side of the brain comes in next to actually understand or put words to a right brain experience. And so this is why I have felt so compelled to bring art into the spiritual formation story and and to talk about the incarnation, because really, if you think about it, this is exactly what God did in the incarnation. He was not content to let us understand him just through word alone, that the word literally had to become flesh, had to become embodied, had to have a right brain encounter with us because he wanted us to know him in a relational, Mm -hmm. experiential kind of way. And so, so when I think about bringing the art into the story, I am wanting people to have a right brain experience encountering God through an image that is, you know, triggering their imagination, triggering their thoughts and emotions to be deeply connected to God in a relational way. And so that's why, you know, the start of each devotional, there's an image of the story. And, And really, it's an invitation to see ourselves within the story, because stories are also a right brain experience where we Hmm. can see ourselves, for example, in the character of Zechariah or in Elizabeth or Mary or the shepherds, and we can uh, have a relational connection to God through them as we see ourselves in their longings and desires and where God meets them could be also the way that he's meeting us. And so... Yeah. So I, I think, you know, one of the things that I've been just recognizing too about the arts and, and integrating a visual language into our spiritual formation is Juliet Benner often talks about how she wrote this really good book called Con- The Contemplative Vision. And she says that physical seeing is a doorway to spiritual seeing. And that when we cultivate attentive presence with what we see with our eyes, we can actually slow down enough to perceive how God is at work all around us if we're Mm -hmm. willing to slow down and pay attention. And I think, you know, even in scripture, it talks about how when we behold Jesus, we become like him in his character. And I think we become like what we behold. And I think that that's partially because God connects with us 
relationally that way through what we see and that beauty Beauty essentially, I think, is love made visible. It's ways that God is always trying to communicate his love to us through through a visual or uh, artistic form. And so, yeah, hmm. I think, wow. you know, scholars have been unpacking the incarnation with many words, but the incarnation is yeah. really a concept beyond our ability to grasp with rational knowledge. I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Betty Dickinson. I know that the Bible itself can feel overwhelming, confusing, or hard to believe. And so Scripture Untangled, a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society, brings you interviews with culture leaders, leaders in ministry, and Bible thinkers to help you be inspired to dive into the Bible and understand it, to tackle it, to untangle it. You can listen for free and subscribe to Scripture Untangled wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever wherever you're listening to this one right now. And you can visit scriptureuntangled.ca for more info, scriptureuntangled.ca. Well, and it is, it is all our senses. You know, I think of that mm-hmm. manger scene is, you know, a sound, sight, smell of a barn mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's all of these things and it can be so sterilized if all it is, is words um, mm-hmm. on a page. Um, and words are important. I mean, my podcast is called Word Made Digital, you know, in John chapter one, <laughs> yeah. in the beginning was the mm-hmm. word, but then of course the word became flesh. The word, um, the word became something more tangible, tangible, mm-hmm. more tactile. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I see that happening then in what you're trying to create through your art, through visuals and, and also then bringing other people uh, through it, like mm-hmm. that, that then it's not just for you, the artist, it's for we, the people together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you know, what's beautiful too, is when I, one of the most satisfying things for me as an artist is, you know, I have these deep relational connections with God while I'm creating the work. But then when I share it with others and I'll often do kind of a live Visio Divina reflection where I'm having people reflect on the art and communicate to me. And they always see things that I never would have imagined or expected or things that I might not have even thought about or intended in the work. But that's the beauty of a visual form is that God can communicate uniquely to each person what he specifically wants them to see and to behold. And, and it's, fresh every time. They may see something completely new the the second time that they look at it or the third or fourth. And so it becomes sort of this living vehicle for God to to move and to work. Well, and what strikes me as you say that is that it's very vulnerable for you. Like you're sharing your work. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, they talk about their, the number one fear is public speaking Mm. (laughs) and the number like (laughs) above dying, people are more afraid apparently of public speaking. But there's, I think ultimately it's because it's a vulnerability to be up in Mm. front of people, to be seen Mm -hmm. or to Mm -hmm. be felt over Mm -hmm. like you're seen too much. So how have you wrestled with that piece as an artist sharing your work, something that is, is a personal, like a personal experience. It sounds like that you've had with God as you've wrestled through these images, ideas, stories. Mm. Um, maybe is that, does that ever, does that go away? Maybe you don't feel that way anymore, but you, you might have at some point. You know, the perspective that I've been taking on it recently is I think that that's just what love does through creative form Hmm. and through beauty is, you know, if you think about the fact that out of the loving union of the Trinity, God created the earth and not because he needed it and not because he felt like there needed to be something there that wasn't there, but he created it out of an overflow of loving union. And that's what love does is love creates. And, and as I think about, you know, even like a husband and wife who come mm-hmm. together and they, the, in their loving union, ideally, you know, in the best of circumstances, they, there's a child that is formed and not always necessarily even a child, but the things that they create to love others. And I see that in the work that I'm creating is it's in this loving union with God as I'm creating that the overflow is then a gift uh, mm-hmm. to be shared. And that is a delight for for me and I think me and God together to share this gift with others. And so, yes, there's vulnerability in it, but I think there's also a level of 
trust that God wouldn't have me create something that was so vulnerable that I couldn't, you know, wasn't, uh, wasn't wise to share and wasn't going to also benefit others. Well, and maybe then, maybe then a follow-up would be, are there pieces you create that are for you? I would imagine maybe yes, that there's Mm -hmm. some things that are just between you and like, they're not for the world or at least not yet for the world. Right. Right. Well, and that's the thing is it's like you, Again, back to to pregnancy, you know, there's a long time of germination where it's just the mother and her baby. Mm-hmm. And then over time, the the baby is ripened enough or matured enough to bring into the world. And I see that in kind of the creative process, that there's this sense of the work needing to be close and needing to be near and needing to be hidden within me and in the studio that then over time I'm matured enough. And so is the work matured enough to be able to share it. Hmm. Uh, So on day five of the, of this 25 day journey that you bring us through making room for solitude. And I'm going to try for, you know, if anyone, maybe I'll try and capture this as a screenshot later. Um, So there's the image. Um, Solitude. Um, you know, your one, one on one, you, God, silent solitude, not a thing most people do. Um, (laughs) and particularly because I come at this from this digital world perspective that I live so much of my life and work in as I work with churches and charities all over the place. And, you know, we talk about that a lot on this podcast. I mean, we're never alone, even when we're alone, because this little screen in our hands can instantly connect us to the, the entire world of both resources, shopping opportunities, mm-hmm. people we know, people we hate. <laughs> I mean, hate is <laughs> a strong word, but you know what I'm trying to say. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, what are we, what do we miss or maybe, maybe the opposite, if you prefer, what do we gain, you know, with this mm. opportunity to have solitude or lack thereof? Um, because yeah. you're spending a whole day with us, inviting us to this idea mm-hmm. of solitude, mm-hmm. which most mm-hmm. people don't get, let alone at Christmas time. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the context of the book, you know, it's looking at the fact that Elizabeth, once she finds out that she's pregnant with John the Baptist, she then spends five months, five months in seclusion. And literally it, the word there is to hide, to, Mm. you know, to hide on all sides. It's, it's a kind of enclosure and it's, I just wonder about that sense of hiddenness within God where I think in some sense, John the Baptist was unfolding within her womb, but I think she was unfolding in the womb of God in the sense that Mm. all of her life, she was surrounded by this concept of who she was as this barren woman and as as it was a shame. And so that was the message. That was the identity that she took on from the world. In solitude, she could detach herself from the opinions and the views of others so that she could then receive her true self hidden in, you know, in God of who she really was, which actually Elizabeth's name means my God is my oath. And I think that's what happens for us in solitude is we have the invitation and I need to do this so much, especially as an Enneagram three who seeks often the approval of other people or, you know, just tries often builds my identity around other, other people's opinions of me. And we tend to do this in our false selves as we kind of shape shift to be whatever version that other people, we think other people want us to be. But what solitude does is that is all stripped away and we can then Mm. discover really who we really are underneath and that that, and, and we can hear our true voice arising from that place and maturing in that place. And we can unfold into God's unique identity for us and hear our true voice rising from within him to, to become the new creation that he is knitting us to be within the enclosure of his unconditional love for us. And hmm. I just know that that's been my experience in solitude. And, you know, I took a sabbatical a couple of years ago and it was a six month sabbatical. And I just can't even underestimate um, how significant that work of God was in that time where God just revealed to me, even in that time, how I needed to arise as an artist in that space mm, where wow. I had, I think in a lot of, in a lot of ways in ministry, 
I was trying to do ministry in a certain box of how ministry was supposed to look. And it wasn't until going into sabbatical that God reminded me, you know, Betty, your truest self is your artist self. And you need to find ways of doing ministry out of an overflow of that self. Hmm. So, you know, rather than trying to shape shift to be what other people wanted me to be or trying to wait for permission to be who I really was, God was saying, no, you already are. So you just need to show up in yourself. And what that does then when we come back into community is we are secure enough in who we are that we have the spiritual clarity to see with wonder and behold who someone else is and have that kind of differentiation. And that's exactly what Elizabeth does for Mary. It's sort of on the tail end of her time Mm -hmm. in seclusion that Mary comes into her story and she can behold what God is doing in Mary and call it forth and say, what God is doing in me testifies to what he's doing in you. And I've just come out of this time of solitude and seclusion that now I can see it and I can behold with wonder what he's doing in you in ways that doesn't make me jealous or make me want to try to become like you, but I can behold the differentiation there and and behold it and hold space for it in wonder because of what God has done in me and seclusion. Hmm. Yeah. It's this, the contemplation is not necessarily, I appreciate that. It's not just the selfish kind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. we go inward to actually be able to serve more outward. I think right. some people just maybe on, on one hand, we're saying we don't have a lot of solitude, but I think the times we do spend alone are often these very self-focused, mm. self-indulgent ways of whether that's, you know, through screens or whatever else, um, that I, you know, I'm just so struck by how selfish people, mm. including me, like how mm-hmm. we are. And mm-hmm. yet the point of solitude is not this idea of like, maybe in contrast to the self help culture or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. self-care. It's not really like that. It's, it's about, um, an inward journey to then actually see ourselves and others more clearly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so then the opposite, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say Howard Thurman describes that a little bit as, you know, we, we breathe in and we breathe out, you know, we inhale and we exhale and that's the natural rhythm of our lives. And so if we think of solitude and community in that rhythm of we inhale who we Mm. are, you know, what we need to receive from God to then exhale to the world and to re-enter the world in a centered place and a grounded place and who we are in Christ and from a posture of love and an overflow that when we exhale, um, it just spills out from what we have been received. I think that that's kind of the rhythm that is offered to us in solitude Mm -hmm. and community and is even offered to us in the Advent story, you know, with Elizabeth and Mary. Well, my friends, as we prepare for Christmas and we're thinking about gifts and making room for others and the needs of the world, here's what you need to know. Right now, the world is facing an unprecedented global food crisis. The numbers are really staggering. 828 million people. That's nearly 10% of the world's population were affected by hunger last year. And just in context, that's 46 million more than a year earlier. So it can be hard to continue Continue to hear this kind of stuff and not know what to do about it. But there is good news in this terrible situation. Compassion's local church partners are at the front lines of responding. And there are simple and tangible ways that we can partner to answer hunger with hope. This year's Gifts of Compassion gift guide includes gifts specifically targeted at meeting the critical needs brought on by this food crisis. You can give at compassion.ca slash shop. That's compassion.ca slash shop. And of always, the link will be down in the show notes. And if you support them, you help support the podcast as well. So we'd love for you to get involved in this issue. All right, back to the conversation with Betty. Well, and of course, the opposite of that on day 10, we're looking at this idea. So we've gone in solitude and now we're talking about by day 10 in the book, making room for one another. Mm-hmm. And then there's this piece where um, the women, as you've described, are together. Um, and so I appreciate what you're saying, because of course, a lot of us, when we come into Christmas, there's a lot of like relational expectations Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. of like these family, just like these two women, these family dynamics. And 
history, pain, frustration, bad communication, whatever. And then we're all shoving ourselves in a room with these people for a day or two. Um, (laughs) So, you know, and that's interesting then. I'm appreciating what you're saying is the preparation of the solitude. Solitude gives us preparation for the gathering together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, you know, what what do we like as we think then of the gathering? Whether that's difficult relationships or just the people, you know, the other way of looking at it, the people in need in our community, people to yeah. love around us. Mm-hmm. Um, what what should we be leaning into there? What what are some of those insights that you're bringing around Christmas and the welcoming in? As we've said, no, I need to be by myself. And now, okay, I'm ready to be with others. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we bring ourselves to that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it could be even seeing solitude as a form, like you said, of, of preparation. So maybe we are anticipating a gathering that's going to be highly stressful for us and may kind of trigger our unhealthy selves, you know, it, it to come to sh- show up and what would happen if we actually took even just 15 minutes before we walk into a room full of a bunch of people that we know are going to bring us anxiety and to breathe deeply, to ground ourselves in that moment, ground ourselves in our body and anticipate, you know, who do I want to be in this space? Do I want Mm. to be so caught up in myself and my frustration with this person or my anxiety or show up in the room. I've heard people talk about it, like showing up in the room as here I am, you know, here I am with all the things that I want and need. And here I am with my frustrations and my anxieties, or here I am, look at me versus Mm. can I show up in the room being fully content in who I am in a way that says, there you are. There you are, family member that I know is causing me anxiety. How can I see the divine image of God in you, even in the place that you're causing me anxiety? How can I lean in to understand your story? How can I be present rather than, you know, just busy? I know I do this all the time. I like busy myself in the the chores because I'm so uncomfortable With the anxiety of the situation, you know, that I'm like, I'll do the dishes. I don't really want to have that conversation, you know, but really thinking uh, tangibly about how can I show up in this space that is fully present to others. And, you know, if I start to feel myself tapping into some levels of unhealth, where can I then just go take a walk and take a break and go back into that solitude again so that I can show back up fully centered and fully able to love and to lean in and you know, it's interesting that uh, studies have been done. There's this book called How God Changes the Brain, How God Changes mm. Your Brain. It's by these two neuro- neuroscientists who actually are, I think one is atheist, one's agnostic, but they've studied people who do kind of intensive prayer and meditation, who uh, make that a regular practice of their life. And they say those who who are involved in in, in regular practice of intentional prayer and meditation have Uh, sort of trained their brain to be more socially aware, more Mm. able to tap into empathy and, and more able to really be fully present in those situations. Mm. And so even if you think about it neurologically, it makes a lot of sense if we really want to love people well, that we have a regular practice of grounding ourselves in our bodies and prayerful breathing and meditation so that we can be more fully alive and attentive to, to the Mm -hmm. people around us. And, and I think, like I said, I think that's what Elizabeth does for Mary. And she just, I think has this level of humility where she can just behold the beauty of what God is doing in Mary and hold that space and, and, you know, say, blessed are you who, you know, who am I that, and, and could we approach people that way over Christmas, you know, and say, you know, goodness, blessed are you for what God is doing in your life. Who am I that I get to be in the presence of someone that God is at work within? You know, I mean, yeah. what would change in our Christmas yeah, you know, party <laughs> interactions, you know? Yeah. 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 Like that level of honor and acknowledgement of what God mm. is doing at work, even if it's hard to see. Because right. it's like, as you say, sometimes a pregnancy is very obvious and sometimes it is not so obvious. Right. So yes. when we think about art, as we go back to, as you've, you're modeling this, you know, for people who want to integrate this um, into their spiritual practice, um, how, you know, what, where's like the 101 
spiritual art for beginners. I mean, I don't even have the right language for it, but I know you've led me through some of this. So can we do it on our own? Do we need a group? Do you have a resource for us? Is there a right way, a wrong way? Uh, Let's talk about that. Well, I think probably there's not really a right or wrong way. Although I will say that when, when it comes to meditating on art or just allowing ourselves to be formed by something we see, it does take time and it does take slowing down. And so I think mm-hmm. the wrong way to do it would just be to rush through it or to, to, to be afraid of it. I know a lot of people who I even get super intimidated by, you know, when you're looking at a piece of art and you're like, I'm supposed to understand what this is and I don't. And I'm, you know, you, we put a lot of our pressure on ourselves to understand. Or has to be good. Like I'm not yeah. an artist, you know, that's what most people would say. Exactly. You know, and and it's what's fascinating to me is often when I will lead practices with people who I would say more lean on the left side of their brain, kind of analytical, really freaked out by the idea of creating anything, you know, they, I will tell them this is not about a product. This is about process. This is about Mm -hmm. attentive presence to what is within you that needs to come out as you're creating something, but also even as you're viewing art, it's putting yourself in the posture of openness and receiving what the artist and what God wants to speak to us through the art. And so it does require a posture of surrender where we're both kind of surrendering to the thing within us that needs to come out without putting pressure on ourselves for it to be perfect for it to be finished, for it to be, you know, a kind of performance, for it to be something we could hang up on our wall. But what would happen and what would change if we instead, you know, go back into that inner child within us that isn't worried about what it's going to look like, that isn't consumed about what other people will think or even care that it gets put up on the fridge, you know, just people who can approach with wonder and curiosity and play And I think God wants to, for so many of us to recultivate that part of ourselves. And what's interesting is I'll often lead people through a practice like that. And and like I said, even people who are maybe more kind of left brain analytical thinkers, they will be surprised by how God meets them through that. Mm. Because as I said, when we're creating, it's a right brain experience. And that's the side of our brain that that fosters relational connection. And so if we can put position ourselves to be open, to be curious, to be surrendered, to be creative and imaginative, we are more positioned to be able to hear from God and to be able to encounter him. And that that's really what it's all about. And I mean, I will say for people who are new to this practice, it's helpful to have a guide who can lead us through. And so that's why Mm. actually I've created uh, an audio guide for the Visio Divina practice, which Visio Divina simply means divine seeing. It's a way of meditating on a piece of art as a way of prayer. So I've created these audio guides that go with the paintings to help people enter into that process. And especially during the Christmas season when, goodness, when we just try to sit down and our mind is like on a thousand different things like shopping lists and groceries that I got to pick up for this holiday party and all these things like to center ourselves in God in those moments can be really hard. And so, yeah, so even if anybody who's interested in this, listening to this, if I have a one of the paintings from the book is called Wonder, and it's of the shepherds in that manger scene. And if you just text the word Wonder to 55444 and follow the prompts, I would love to send that to you as a gift for you in this season to help you re-engage and to help you uh, position your heart to behold with wonder. And what's what's really fun about that image is I think I learn a lot from the shepherd's posture of how to behold Jesus. Mm. I mean, because the shepherds, as soon as they hear from the angel that the son of God has been born to them, it says they go and let's go and see this thing that has happened. And the word they use there for see is not the traditional sort of, I see with my eye, my physical eyes sort of see, but it's a sense of seeing called arao, which is to perceive, to wonder, to behold. It's a deeper level of seeing. Mm. And I think that's really the invitation 
to this in this Christmas season and and as I want other people to reflect on the art is let's not just look at the picture and and say like oh okay I get it you know but but could we actually like the shepherds run with a kind of curiosity to want to behold and to see the deeper meaning and with fascination you know of of what's happening so yeah. say again because people need to get this if they don't have to fill they don't have to rewind what's the number what do we text what do we text to what number so it's wonder the word wonder to five five four 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 okay so wonder wonder five five four 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 um so i mean one of the things that you describe yourself as is uh you know, a prophetic artist or whether others have described that of you or that's, you know, it's, it's at least in your official bio, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and so I, whenever I hear this word, I think prophecy means different things to different faith backgrounds. So for some people that means you're some sort of fortune teller and for other people, it means you're simply speaking true Hmm. things into the context. So, um, you know, not to really demean, I think, the power and the spiritual power of prophecy. I don't mean that when I say fortune teller, I mean some people when they hear the word prophecy or prophetic, they immediately disregard it as some mm. sort of, you know, magical nonsense. But I don't, I know that's not what, what we mean here. And so using art to reveal and to speak truth mm. into context, you know, mm-hmm. I think of this this work, this beautiful book, um, and your prayers, your hopes for people this Christmas or as we come into a brand new year, is there something that you have, you know, it's, it's not been an easy road for a lot of us mm-hmm. the last few years in Christian life mm-hmm. and church mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. divisions and all the rest that we won't get into. Um, you know, what is your hope or a prophetic word or an image that you have for, for people listening? You know, as I was praying about this, this word has been marinating in me for a few days, mostly because a lot has happened with the book in the last week. Uh, we just sold out at InterVarsity Press, which is really exciting. There'll be new, awesome. new books coming in. But when I look back on the journey, I remember back to the beginning where I, when I started to tell people about this thing that I felt growing in me, this new thing coming up in me to create work that would integrate my painting and my writing and speaking to tell this story and to bring Mm -hmm. people in the sense of awe of God, I encountered a lot of blank stares. And Mm -hmm. for a long time, I thought that meant, well, I think that must be because the world doesn't really need or want the thing that is. Yeah, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the reason I bring that up is because I think we've heard a lot in this time. God is doing Mm -hmm. a new thing. God is doing a new thing. And I've heard it a bunch and I agree. But I think the thing I want you all to hear is that God doesn't create a new thing in a vacuum, but he creates a new thing within people. And so if we want to participate with him in the new thing and to receive the new thing that he's doing, then that means we need to make room for the new thing that he is cultivating within us. And I think one of the things I've recognized in the process of creating this book and now kind of on this other side of publishing it, and it's now in the hands of people, is that the world desperately needs what you have to offer. They just might not know it yet. And that there are things that God has put within you that you know that he's put within you. And can we trust the creator within who's given us these dreams, who's who's given us these visions of a world to come, that he's given those dreams to us for a reason to be a part of the new thing that's to be shaped and that the world hasn't seen it yet because the world is waiting for it and the world desperately mm-hmm. needs it. And I think there was a long time where I felt that when I shared about this dream with people that those blank stares meant that maybe I should just stop creating. And I let it stop me from creating this thing until, until one day I began to see like, no, actually this thing within me, I need to create, whether people are asking it of me or not, I need to do this and I need to shape it and I need to be faithful to this thing that's growing within because I I need to trust that also it's not just something within me, but that it's something that God wants to give 
to the world. And so that would be my encouragement for, for yeah. those of you listening is that there's, there's things that need to come out in you that the world desperately needs. And if you stop, if you allow yourself to be stopped because, you know, you're waiting for permission or you're waiting to be asked to create this thing, then we're going to miss out. We're going to miss mm. out. The world is going to miss out on something we desperately need. And so, mm. so listen and, and make room, make room in your life, make room in your schedule, make room in your heart and your soul for, for the new thing that's growing and to give it the space that it needs. Betty Dickinson, where do we find you and your work? Where do you want to send people on the internet today? Well, you could find me on my website, which is www.bettydickinson.com. Betty with an E and two I's for Dickinson. O-N. That's a complicated name to spell. Uh, and then you do, you, I find I hang out on Instagram. So you could find me at Betty underscore Dickinson. And yeah, also, I mean, I would love to just again, send you this uh, Visio Divina practice and you can connect with me after that. I'll be sending you some follow-up materials. So would just love to share that with you as a gift. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. I hope people lean in and they're challenged by what you've said to slow down so that they can uh, receive and prepare room in themselves and actually prepare room in their lives for others. Mm -hmm. For others. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Joanna. Betty, thanks so much. And a Merry Christmas to everyone, wherever you may be going and celebrating in the next number of weeks. I hope you make room for Jesus. Next week, I'm really pumped because we've got the one, the only Bob Goff on the podcast. He's the author of Love Does. And in my mind, he's the chief officer of Whimsy. So you're going to love the conversation. Don't miss next week's episode. Thanks so much to our sponsors who are making this all possible. Compassion Can Canada, who are lifting children from poverty and hunger in Jesus name. Check out the gift catalog, the new podcast scripture untangled by the Canadian Bible Society. If you're trying to wrestle through an untangled scripture for yourself and also serve HQ where you can train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online fast and easy serve HQ.church. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. We're going to see you on the YouTube channel. We're going to see you hit and subscribe, share this episode, pass it around. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next week with Bob Goff. <laughs>